Hello again, my friends. Today, I want to read a few pages out of um, an excellent book called Apophis by Michael Kelly. Now, if you don't know who Michael Kelly is, he is a scholar. He's a rune master of the Rune Guild. He was the um, co-grandmaster of the Order of Leviathan in the Temple of Set. Uh, he has went on to create the Order of Apophis and, of course, um, the Apophis Club. Well, he, he wrote this specific book for the Apophis Club, I'm pretty sure, or for the Order of Apophis. But it's talking about, he, he uh, earlier in the, in the 2000s, he wrote a, or he did a substantial rewrite to Edward Thorson or Stephen Flowers' uh, Book of Oam. The Irish Owen, using the Irish Owen system as a system of initiation, divination, and things like that, magic. But uh, in that was a section on the Celtic soul lore. And here in this book, he has a section where he has fleshed it out more completely and added to it uh, f- from his own experience and his own uh, education in the left-hand path. And um, so... For those of you who are not familiar with left-hand path, I will also do an episode on the difference between right and left-hand paths and what traditions fall under that and why. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about this. I'm going to, I would like to just read it outright. Um, hope I'm not violating copyright law, but uh, I want to, for some of my listeners who are uh, Celtic and uh, Germanic, I know I, I tend to focus more on Zoroastrian. And I'm trying to branch out a little more, so bear with me. I want to read this. Uh, I'm just going to start from the beginning of the chapter. Uh, And again, this is from Michael Kelly's point of view, and so it will be in the first person of Michael Kelly. So I'm just going to start here, and if we need to, we can talk about it on the way. The Immortality Engine, page 237 of Apophis. I have often referred to the quest for immortality, in these pages previously. I have pointed out how it is a central theme within the order of Apep, as it was within the order of Leviathan. I have mentioned the word of the magus James Lewis, Remanifest, which is the key to unlock the door to the immortal realm. But so much more remains to be said on this question, and when all that is currently known has been said, so many questions remain to be asked. But we'll return to the subject now, for the fifth head of Apep, deals with the passion of the self for the other and is placed where the soul hungers for immortality in the earnest in earnest in a way uh, it has never really been understood before let me begin by quoting one of the opening paragraphs from a privately circulated paper i wrote a couple of years ago under the title the immortality engine quote yes here it comes again Yet there I was, perfectly happy with my work. I have been extremely busy lately. I have established a curriculum of a Pepigan work and am preparing it for publication. I am writing a novel and making several long-term life changes. I am pursuing my work within the Rune Guild. I am delving deeper into Celtic matters and preparing a groundbreaking publication for this field too. I thought I was doing well, and so I was, after my fashion. Then comes the summons from she who must be obeyed. She wears a new form and face in this manifestation, one that suits her so well and that I can readily worship. She reveals herself to me when I least expect it and demands that I come away with her 
Always, my lady, always, end of quote. Now, for those of you familiar with uh, Aleister Crowley and the Temple Set, uh, there's a thing called uh, Lady Babylon, and so he is referring to her there, but in another guise, and we'll get to that in a minute. And I'm going to continue. It was directly through the inspiration and magic of Babylon that I discovered the very roots of the immortalization process and the powerhouse that drives it. All of the insights and ideas that had drifted into isolated clutches within my mind were brought, were drawn together into a coherent, well-oiled machine fueled by her desire and propelling my life forward. This is not the place to reprint the whole paper, nor to recount the details of the working, but I shall share the nature of the immortality engine for those with the wit to put it to use. Once an initiate has recognized the manner in which the mind can reach out of the confines of his skull to influence the world around him, once he realizes that he is not bound by the body, but that the body is a tool, he no longer doubts that immortality of some sort is a likelihood, but a manner of questions then arise. What is within us that survives? All of the input of our senses ceases with the body. How does a mind unshackled from such inputs think? Does it verbalize to itself? Language is only a symbol system evolved within the confines of a physical life. Will it see and hear? Will it visualize? All of our thoughts are conditioned around our physical senses. What about emotions? Once the body's glands and unconscious responses are no longer present, will we feel? Will we care? And what of reincarnation? Do we enter again into flesh? All of us are just a part of the psyche, the sense of self itself. What of our memories? Do these remain within a kind of over-self, distinct from that which incarnates? Is this over-self the phenomena of the watcher we are familiar with? The self who is outside of the self but looks over our shoulder and sometimes prompts us? The answer to these questions came to me from two distinct sources, which fused into a single vision during the process of an intense magical working. One of these sources was the soul lore of my ancestors, the Celts, and the Norse settlers on the Isle of Man. The other was my passion and my sense of beauty, which had been inflamed by a young lady in a work of fiction who ignited my desires. These sources teach us a very important truth about the way in which magic manifests in our lives. If I had not done the hard groundwork, studying and working with the runes and oems and their associated lore for years, I could never have acquired the knowledge for my realization. But also, if my mind had not been open to the influences of the present and awake to the visions being presented to me right now through whatever medium, that knowledge would never have been so effectively vitalized. Both are necessary. Initiates tend to either study their magical traditions exclusively and effectively cut themselves off from the world around them, or shamble around seeking inspiration in all and sundry, but lacking the structure and discipline to find any meaning to it. It is important to effectively tread a middle path. Instead, both must be pursued vigorously at the same time. The magician is a multitasker. The core of the answer lies in the way 
in which the old Indo-Europeans divided the body-soul complex, or the psychophysical complex, into several distinct parts. They had a far more complex and advanced model of the structure of the human soul than we tend to have today. These days, people tend to speak of the soul or psyche as if it were a single object, or, and thus our definition is vague and woolly, trying to be all things to all men. But we are actually composed of several distinct selves, and with a little study, their parameters are quite distinct and well-defined. I don't want to go into this discussion in too much detail here. There are several fine books available which serve that purpose, but it is necessary to at least examine the basics. Let's look at the Celtic psychological model in de as detailed in my own Book of Oam, published by Runa Ravencrest. We are all familiar with the body, which is itself made up of several elements, bone, flesh, blood, breath, mind, and aspect in the Celtic model. The part of the self, this part of the self, is a form adapted to our expression in the physical world. As such, it embodies and processes and follows the rules of that world. It is born, grows to maturity, ages, and ultimately dies. Its cells constantly renew themselves out of the substance of this plane. It is estimated that every single cell in the body is replaced over a seven-year period. Thus, there is not a single atom of me as I sit here now and type this, which is the same as the person I was seven years ago. Not a single part of that earlier me remains, and yet I continue. This in itself should tell us something of immortality. The physical body itself is shaped and molded by the non-physical field known as the delve. This field is the means whereby the self molds and shapes its manifestation in the physical world. Once the physical form is grown and in motion, a strong delve may still morph it and project itself through it. Good actors possess strong control over this aspect of themselves and use it to project new personalities and mannerisms through their body, transforming themselves into different people. Strongly charismatic people manifest their delves directly. Think of times when you have seen someone's face shine or eyes blaze as they speak. Also interpenetrating the physical body is the anal, which is the vital breath, the animating principle itself. As anyone who has ever been present when someone dies will know, there is a world of difference between the dead body and the living one. It is not simply that the body stops breathing and moving. Something departs. It loses a definite substance. That substance is vitality itself, which is drawn as the soul complex ceases to use that body as a vehicle. The delve too withdraws and the body starts to compose as the force that gave it its shape and cohesion is removed. The Celtic model then introduces the mental faculties to the complex, defining the minma, which is the mind itself, the reasoning function, which also encompasses the capacity for concentration and will. The kovna is the memory, which incorporates the capacity for pattern recognition and the association of ideas through past experience. By extrapolating data from the menma and referring it to the archives of the kovna, the self becomes capable of feats of imagination, a mental process which takes place on a plane beyond this one. 
The mental faculties thus operate both within the physical realm and beyond its limits. The puka is the shadow of the personality, which lurks below the threshold of waking consciousness yet observes all and insidiously comments upon it internally. These are the repressed aspects of the personality, the dark and disturbing corners which we do not like to peer into, yet which are essential to the magician. When understood, accepted, and harnessed, the puka greatly liberates the imagination, allowing it consciousness, allowing consciousness access to the deep places of the psyche. It is a tool for shape-shifting and mental travel beyond the limits of the body. It is the untamed part of the psyche which may liberate that part of us which is shackled. The anath is a person's shade or ghost. It represents that which lingers on when a person dies, representing their life and work in the minds and memories of others. It is this which may return as a ghost, either as an unconscious memory or as a more animated projection seeking to complete an unfinished task or take revenge on one who has wronged it. The final part of this complex of selves in the Celtic schema is the fane, which is the sense of self itself. It is the realization and manifestation of personal identity, which accumulates through the actions of other parts of the body-soul complex. It is not the body. It is that for which the body is a vehicle. It is not the thoughts or feelings. It is that which thinks or feels. It is not the memory. It is that which remembers and for which memories have meaning. It is ever the subject. All else is ever the subject. It is the sole constant. All else revolves around it. There are, of course, other models of the soul. The Germanic model is very like the Celtic one in most respects. It is also possible to effectively reconstruct an ancient Egyptian model. The important thing is to possess a coherent and comprehensive understanding of all parts which go into making it up. Having done so, it is then possible to examine each part in turn and divine what must happen to it upon physical death. We shall do so briefly. The first thing that should suggest itself to us when we begin looking at the soul as, comp as comprised of several parts is that each part may have a different post-mortem fate or destination. This realization immediately liberates us from the modern conception of a soul, for there is no such thing. There is a self, a fane, which arises through the interaction of several linked but distinct parts, but which is greater than the sum of those parts and, in the initiate at least, attains a sovereignty over them. The fate of the body is evident to all. It is a physical thing, so we can observe its processes with our physical senses. It dies and decomposes into its constituent elements. The anal, the vital breath, departs, and all that is, and all that remains, is an abandoned shell of meat. The delve, a shaping principle, the shaping persona, departs along with the anal, and thus the body rots as a matrix that held it together in coherent form no longer is present. We may ask where the anal and the delve depart to. They withdraw into that shadow body, that body which sees more clearly than the physical one, 
and is not afraid to probe into the dark places, namely the puka. This less tangible body, capable of walking and operating in the magical realm, is now the vehicle of the soul. The magician's psyche finds itself wandering the paths of Otherworld and the Underworld, the magical universe we took pains to explore and map during the work of the Third Head. The Anaeth, the shade or ghost, is also a thing of the magical realm, but it remains in close proximity to the physical world and may at times be discerned there by those sensitive to such apparitions or those who were close to the deceased. The Anaeth may or may not possess the consciousness in its own right. If there remains an unfinished earthly business which plays upon the mind, some part of the annal or the breath may abide there animating it, a type of pocket personality of the larger self. It is a fallacy to say that such ghosts need to move on. They are never completely consciousnesses, only a projection for a purpose. The bulk of the awareness always passes into the magical realm. If the shade is a passive one, it will merely act as a link between the deceased and the places and people he knew, fading with the passing of time until it too goes the way of the physical body. In either case, the innate retains some vestige of the delve or shaping principle, giving it ethereal shape and substance for so long as it subsists. The memna and kovna, the mind and the memory, continue to be associated with the fame, since the self retains the sense of its own continuity. If the shade of the deceased is an active ghost seeking to complete some earthly task, it may retain some awareness of the Kovna, but probably not the Memna, since reason is not required for such a function, perhaps some faint vestige of the emotion that drives the desire for completion. Traditionally, all ancient authorities agree that the Celtic Druids taught that the soul of the deceased will be reborn, usually among its own descendants or near relatives. But the tales also allow that some considerable time may pass prior to rebirth, and that during this time the fane will pass into the underworld and travel through the magical realms of Celtic cosmology, having experiences and forming relationships there every bit as real as those in earthly life. Indeed, binding debts and promises will pass over from life to the post-mortem existence and vice versa. So much for the traditional view. At the time of the immortality engine working, I had accepted the Celtic model of the soul as pragmatic and essentially accurate one, and was happy to give it my stamp of approval. I also broadly felt that the dying process, as described above, was essentially correct as regards the effect upon the various parts of the soul. I was a magician and accepted the reality of the magical realm and the ability of the self to exhibit, to exist in this realm, independent of the physical and I also believe that the rebirth could indeed occur in certain circumstances, but I did not yet know the mechanism by which this all worked. I could not put my finger on the why of it. I could not determine the factors which contributed to rebirth or held a soul in the underworld. Some fresh perspective was required to bring this theoretical model to vibrant, compelling life. This was when the Lady Babylon intervened. My perception of the Scarlet Woman has always been colored by my Celtic heritage, and she manifests to me as the goddess Thoth or Bove. Interestingly, Babylon may be seen as her title 
uh, as a title of her Bob Avalon, or Bob of the Underworld. She now pre uh, presented a fresh vision of herself to me, which triggered a new understanding and a new fusion of ideas and things that I had already known, but had never previously connected in such a vital and powerful way. I have stated many times already that desire is key to the left-hand path. I now fully understood as the desire for the lady, for the other. The self's eternal quest for that which desires beyond its for that which it desires beyond itself is that which will drive us ever on. This is Faust's eternal feminine. In the symposium, Plato argued that man's pursuit of beauty is actually the pursuit of immortality, since that which is truly beautiful must be imperishably beautiful. That which makes us immortal is our desire for the other, our eternal yearning and pursuit for that beauty which burns our hearts and sears our vision with its loveliness. So if the Celtic soul model described above is the process, then desire is the engine that powers it. For some reason, probably the direct inspiration of the lady herself on this occasion, and the realization blazed through my knowledge of soul lore and illuminated it for me. Beauty is everything. The sole purpose of being conscious is the admiration and adoration of the beautiful. The desire for beauty is that which fuels life itself on every level. This applies in the underworld and the other world just as much as in this world. So let us examine certain aspects of our soul lore once again in the wake of this realization. Much of what was expressed earlier remains unchanged. We may now gain a perspective on what may cause an active shade or ghost to linger if an attachment is still felt toward a loved one who embodied the, the, the deceased's other on the physical plane. But as I considered the soul in the context of desire, I realized that the fame, the self of the self, does not pass from this world into the magical realm upon the physical death. Why not? Because it is already there and it always has been. The sense of self is not and never has been bound to the physical body. Even in the most dull and unimaginative of people, it indulges in daydreams, it dreams while the body sleeps, and it creates new worlds within the imagination. The fane, the self, resides permanently in the magical realms, and it interfaces with the physical body through other parts of the soul we have described. Upon death, it draws several of those parts back to itself to one degree or another. The mind and memory yield up the fruits of this life to the self. Those events and memories which have truly inspired or transformed the soul will be held up as standards on the planes of the other world where the self holds sovereignty. The accrued skills and insights will lie in state enshrined in the underworld, the lands of the dead, from which they may arise and re-manifest when needed. When the time comes for rebirth, the self will send forth the delve, the shaping principle, to form and craft a new suitable body in the physical world to give flesh to its parts once again. Contrary to those creeds which teach that the goal of the soul is to escape from some torturous will of reincarnation, the Celtic model teaches that fleshly life is a delight and a joy that man is meant to be a carnal being with a physical manifestation. A Buddhist will renounce desire to disperse himself. A draconian will embrace desire 
to recreate himself and to create himself. But when each fleshly life ends in accordance with the transformations of this realm, we do not pass on to the other world because we are already there. This was a tremendously powerful and liberating realization. Since our sense of self resides permanently within the magical realm, what is the force that drives us to be reborn in the flesh? One reason has been mentioned above. The body and its elements are a part of our overall complex as a human being, and the soul aspires to its fullest manifestation. In left-hand path philosophy, the world, the physical world itself, is not a dysfunctional prison from which the soul yearns to escape. It is the culmination and manifestation of all the soul's efforts toward self-expression. The second reason is that we are driven to reach out of ourselves by the force of desire, yearning for the experience of the other. The prime motive for entering into a fleshly life, submerging ourselves totally in the illusion which is the play of a pep, the desire for the scarlet woman, for it is in her physical realm that she manifests to us. It is in the physical realm that she manifests to us, and, and the flesh is her instrument of choice. We are here to seek beauty, remember, to experience great and tempestuous love affairs, to find her in all of those things, and in so doing, to find new ways in which to manifest our own selves. It is beauty which keeps the process of re-manifestation turning over drawing us ever to rebirth. It is desire which renews us, immortalizing the psyche. It is the other who provides us with purpose and motivation. The initiate who understands the way in which his soul takes on flesh and then withdraws, withdraws from it in a cyclical manner, uh, and the manner in which it re rearranges its parts, who understands how his ultimate essence lies permanently outside the realms of space-time, and who understands the engine of desire that powers this process is mighty indeed. These words are easy for me to type. Like most magical secrets, this is easy to set down into words. But this experience must happen to you as it did to me. Anyone can believe or disbelieve in immortality. Such a belief is irrelevant. It is neither here nor there. Some may read my description of these matters and consider it to be unlikely. Others will dismiss it, out, dismiss it out of hand. Some will consider it a logical and satisfying explanation. Others will doubt. I can offer no proof or argument in words, nor am I interested in doing so. However, for those who persevere with this curriculum and work diligently in the head and with the heads, I can promise proof indeed, for when you attain the fifth head, you will experience for yourself something akin to my own immortality engine working. This experience will prove to you beyond any doubt that you are an immortal essence. You may not use a Celtic model for your soul. The lady will appear to you in different and a different guise than she did to me. But the illumination will come. Those who merely read these words and avoid the work will wait forever. What a powerful dissertation on the soul and the, the engine that drives immortality, which is desire and beauty. Uh, I often talk about beauty from Plato's perspective as an eternal, uh, immortal thing. 
because we are ultimately born into uh, into a reality where our whole goal is to seek out beauty. We do this selfishly. The way we comb our hair, the way we put on makeup, the way we dress, the way we um, uh, discipline ourselves physically so that we can grow into a better, more aesthetic shape. We do this so that we can attract a partner. That partner is that, that other, that scarlet woman, that Bav, that Babylon. Uh, she is that significant other, and we are the beloved. She is the love. So, what he says here is, I think, significant for all paths, especially the Celtic and the Norse Germanic. And I will do a, um, some readings on um, the Norse Germanic soul and its uh, psychophysical complex or body-mind complex. So I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have in reading it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, let me know what you think. As always, like I always say, you can hit me on Messenger at Dave or at Bargle Offer. You can hit me at MosdenWerewolf at gmail.com or you can simply leave a message here um, on the podcast app itself. Uh, also, don't forget to favorite me if you're on, uh, on Anchor.fm. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to, send me a friend request on Facebook if you see this here for the first time and are not my uh, Facebook I enjoyed talking to you once again, and as always, happiness to you. Wish to take, be happy.